This is the Colgrave Seabrook Foundation podcast in association with Hawk Week, the industry's leading trade title. This podcast is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, More People, the market leaders for professional recruitment across the UK and internationally. They specialise in horticulture, fresh produce, food, agriculture, and garden and leisure sectors. For more information, please visit morepeople.co.uk. Selecting plants that can cope with the big swings that we have in climate so that we can ensure we can feed ourselves, not just here in Northern Europe, of course, but in areas where the situation is much more serious. So I think that's the importance of a plant breeder going forward. I'm Neville Stein, one of the trustees of the Colgrave Seabrook Foundation. We know it's quite hard to find good information about horticultural careers, which is why we made this podcast. My guest on this episode of the podcast is Simon Crawford, plant breeder at Burpee. Simon's career has put him at the cutting edge of science and horticulture. This is a field which is becoming increasingly important as the world deals with supplying food for a changing climate. First of all, tell us about a plant that you're really proud of breeding. It would have to be a tomato, Neville, I think. And the most recent introduction within the, the burpee uh, working practice uh, was Crimson Crush, um, a variety that was developed with resistance to Phytophthora infestans, potato blight or tomato blight. Uh, I was approached by someone at Sutton Seeds about over 10 years ago now to come up with a solution to a problem that was being recorded by their customer service department, complaining that gardeners could no longer grow tomatoes outside. And so we started this project, uh, obtained a parent line from the United States and then developed a parent line here in the UK. And the hybrid of which, um, after a lot of testing around this country in the US, uh, was introduced and has really been quite successful. A number of key well-known people in the media and gardeners uh, do use that variety now on a regular basis. So it was a success and very satisfying to see see that success. So is it something that we might have eaten in our salads? You know, if we were going to go to Tesco, would we be buying Crimson Crush from the tomato aisle? The, the focus of our breeding here in Europe and in the US has been for the home gardener. So this would be a variety that you could grow yourself at home, but not necessarily a variety that would find its way onto a supermarket shelf. It ripens quite quickly and doesn't really have any great shelf life. It's a variety of the fruit of which must be picked when it's ripe, when it's fully developed, and the flavor of that variety then is absolutely fantastic. It's juicy, aromatic, with a very nice sugar acid balance. It was bred for a specific purpose for the UK and European home gardener. And that's something fairly unique to Burpee as a business, that we are engaged in plant breeding specifically for the home gardener. So how big is that market for you? It's millions of seeds, both here and in the US. I'm intrigued. You know, you spent your working life as a plant breeder largely. Why on earth do we need plant breeders? Well, since agriculture started in, in, in the Tigris and Euphrates valleys millennia ago, people have been selecting crops that perform better. So you were growing wheat, you had to supply food for yourself, your family, the community. And almost subconsciously, people began to select the best performing plants and then saving seed from them 
and moving year to year, slowly but surely improving those crops. And as a result of that, various different land races were built up that had specific advantages with regard to performance, earliness, ripeness, milling properties across a whole region. And moving forward, we've now, after centuries of research and development, we have a better understanding of the genetics, the inheritance of some of these traits in many, many crops that we use for food, but also crops that we use for enjoyment, flowering crops. And so the people who are now engaged professionally in these endeavors are plant breeders. And they can move into this life at various different levels. They can either be hands-on in the field or they can be uh, biochemists. The number and types of employees now coming into plant breeding uh, is very, very diverse level. Listening to what you've just said, I think what's really going through my mind now is wondering how important is plant breeding going to be for sustainability? You know, what role will plant breeding take in helping combat climate change, for example? I think it will be huge. This is something that everyone, the universities, the government need to take into consideration. I think finding crops, whether it's a tomato, whether it's wheat, whether it's a sugar beet, things that can withstand insect pressure, disease pressures, or too much rain or drought, selecting plants that can cope with the big swings that we have in climate so that we can ensure we can feed ourselves, not just here in Northern Europe, of course, but in areas where the situation is much more serious. So I think that's the importance of a plant breeder going forward and and the people around plant breeders who are helping this function of research development and crop improvement. So Simon, when you're creating a new plant, do you know what you're going to get at the end of it? Not always, Neville. No, <laughs> it can be unpredictable still. It's it's the combinations that you put together, uh, particularly if you're making an F1 hybrid. You hope that the characteristics in the two parents are combined equally or in a way that you can predict. But there are always surprises. So nature has you know an incredible way of coming up with the unexpected. <laughs> and so you know you have to be prepared for that. Oftentimes, if you know the background of the parents of the of the things you're crossing together, you know that they have certain levels of resistance or certain flavor quality or fruit quality characteristics that you can expect certain things to come back out. But, you know, finding something new and different then becomes more challenging because you're working outside the normal pool of material. And and I suppose one of the major issues we see in global plant breeding today is having too narrow a focus and not looking outside far enough uh, at wild species and introducing characteristics uh, from wild species that have not yet been introduced into the population, working population of certain crops. Wheat, yes, you can say that's been pretty much exploited within the wild populations that have been collected. But something like tomato, I think there's still a tremendous amount that can be done. Yeah, that's really interesting. So if we can take that back to that role of a plant breeder on a sort of day-to-day basis, what does that role look like? The work can be divided up into various different responsibilities. and, And some responsibilities in plant breeding might be a function in laboratory, more with looking for genes for resistance or for drought tolerance or whatever. And that work is 
in the lab. So there you have more of a biochemistry, biochemical slant. The practical work in the field is still very much recording, deciding which selections to go forward with. So quite a bit of time in the field, uh, some time in the office, compiling reports and compiling data from the trials. So, you know, a mathematical slant sometimes is quite helpful. Observational skills in the field are important. I think more and more we will see robotics coming into this as well, viewing trials from drones, drone cameras, and understanding those results. So there is an element there of computer programming as well. But ultimately, and my interest has always been in actually getting out there into the field, growing the plants, seeing the plants grow, seeing them develop, assessing them, and then deciding to move forward with certain lines, whether they're parent lines, if it's an inbred crop, uh, choosing the parent lines, just selecting to go forward with a better, more disease-resistant, more tasty, earlier fruiting variety. So if we were to meet at a party and I was to say, describe what you do, would you describe yourself as a scientist or as a horticulturist? That's a very tough question, Neville. I think... I, I, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I like a tough question. Yeah, that, that really has got me thinking because I don't think I've ever been asked that before, but I've always thought of myself really first and foremost as a scientist. But I have to say, I could not be where I am today if I hadn't got some kind of a grip on horticulture. I've always had an interest in growing plants and plant knowledge is, is vitally important. You know, understanding the plants, where they come from, the ecology is a key part of being a plant breeder, I believe. So I think it is both. But from my own point of view, I think I see myself as a scientist first, but horticulture has played a huge part in my in my career. And uh, it's very difficult not to put it first, actually, uh, if that's that's what my heart's telling me. But I think my head's telling me really uh, that I am a scientist underneath. You've given a really good understanding of what a plant breeder does. And actually, you know, from what you've been saying, there's a massive range of skills required and a wide range of jobs available in the sort of plant breeding world. If someone was wanting to get into plant breeding, what might be the first steps they would take now? I think the route normally, I think, would be via A-levels in, in scientific subjects and then moving forward to a degree in, in some sort of plant science. And, and there are still some available. Careers in plant science have never been well publicized, but hopefully this conversation will make people see that there are opportunities and, and the world needs good plant breeders going forward. And we need some sustainable activities within our country. As a nation, we need to be able to produce seeds ourselves and grow improved crops if we can. You know, sometimes it might be organically, for example. Our organic seed production in this country is not good at the moment. We need more organic seed production for organic growing. So that's niche, I know, but still the opportunities there. So the track going forward uh, as a plant scientist, biochemist, ecologist, a, a broad-based degree, and then a master's probably in some sort some kind of genetic or ecological subject would be very beneficial. If you come at it from um, more from a horticultural perspective, then moving to a degree after you've fulfilled a horticultural apprenticeship would also, I think, be very valuable. And I'm not aware of too many people who've done that. But I do think it is, it is a valid route and people should be encouraged to 
take that on board. We're really short of young people now coming in in supporting roles as well. Is it possible to get a sort of more general degree in science and then sort of morph and transition into plant science later in one's career? Yeah, sure. Sure it is. Yeah. I mean, if you were to take a a general degree in biology and then move from there through a master's degree towards a plant breeding career, I think that's also possible. And I think also companies, particularly cereal breeders, are taking undergraduates or master's students in a kind of apprenticeship where they can um, uh, come on board with with relatively little skill, practical skill, uh, and start to pick that up while working on the job. And I think that's also a a very good example of how to do that. I had only grown tomatoes at home when I started work in in the late 70s, but my first job was to grow a crop of tomatoes. Yes, someone held my hand, <laughs> and was probably quite rude if I if I made, made any obvious mistakes or um, you know uh, so but but yeah I mean uh, I grew, I grew a, grew a crop and for for three or four years I had full responsibility for that as, because it teaches you to to look at the crop every day you know many times a day actually you look you're in charge of the watering the feeding and you understand the crop how it grows and that again I think is of vital importance. Yeah. So we've talked about observation skills. So it strikes me also that, you know, having an inquiring mind and being able to critically analyse information is quite a key skill that one might need to develop. Would that be right? You've got to be able to pick things apart. You know, you've got to be able to look at a plant, look at the structure and gather all of that information into your head. And yes, data is going to be important and and analysing data. But I think very often your first view of of something... um, if you, if you've got the skill of of putting those different elements together as a summary in your head then you know you can make the right selections i believe so this is obviously a specialized kind of work how many people do you think are involved in this industry it must run into the hundreds might be as many as a couple of thousand when you look at the universities and the allied industries that that serve the plant breeding world but but actual physical plant breeders in this country you're talking now maybe about 50. Supporting staff probably runs into the, well, into the, into the many hundreds, I'd say, if, if not maybe a thousand people involved in that work. We've started to see from your conversation and what you've explained very well, thank you, that actually plant breeding can make, make a serious contribution to solving climate crisis and this is quite a controversial statement perhaps but where does gm genetic modification fit into this plant breeding role and is it important or is it insignificant now i do think it's important i think there are ways going forward with what we call precision breeding genetic modification i think will become less important going forward i think gene editing in the same way that gene editing is being used in medicine and is being used in plants, is a very important area. We need to understand it better than we do. Changing the coding for a gene to give us a version that is more effective or knocking part of the metabolism out in order to achieve an objective is completely possible. But our understanding of the interaction of that with the rest of the metabolism of a cell is not particularly well understood. So we need to do more trials to make studies of whole plants, not just lab-based investigations. And we need to 
Also, not discount traditional breeding. And we need an army of bright young people to do that, not just in the lab, but out in the field as well. It sounds absolutely exciting that you could, as a bright young person, you could get engaged in something that is so cutting edge and and world-changing with actually making a significant difference to people's diets. Really appreciate everything you've told us about plant breeding. I found it fascinating. I've got one final question for you. Is it you that comes up with the name of these new plants, Crimson Crush and Vivacious? These are great names. Do you actually, when you're breeding these plants, you think, oh, I'm going to call it Crimson Crush? Who does that? No, that was the Crimson Crush. Uh, yeah, that was came up from um, Rufus Roberts, who was uh, director at um, Sutton Seeds. That was his brainchild. Vivacious was um, came up from the... Uh, the owner of Burpee, Mr. Mr. George Ball. So that w- that was his baby. Um, so the plant breeder doesn't always get to name name the varieties, unfortunately. But I'm I'm not particularly good at it. So I think it's best left to others in the team, Neville. <laughs> My thanks to Simon Crawford for his insights. As Simon explained, this is a niche job. Don't let that discourage you, though. But be prepared to put the work in to earn your place. 